every hardware wallet has four components. And the four components, well, how about I ask you that question, Faris? What, what do you think the four components, technical components of a hardware wallet is? Yeah, I'm not going to be able to tell you that with a hardware right. wallet. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, I was just trying to stop talking. So I will go through this really quickly. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Bitcoin Basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit bitcoinbasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics podcast. I am your host, Ferris, here with Gordon as well. It is October the 5th, 2021. The price of Bitcoin is hovering just above $49,200. Per dollar, that will get you 2,029 Satoshis. Now, Gordon, um, I believe today we're going to talk about um, an article that I sent you about Coal Card and it no longer being open source. Is that correct? Well, you sending me the article is correct, but we'll get to the other <laughs> answer in a second. Before we go there, because uh, there's a lot of misinformation, there's just total fud out there. Um, Let's go back to square one, Ferris. What is open source? I talk about it all the time. So this is something that took me a while, not a while, but once I understood, I really appreciated it. And um, I'm very fortunate to have the Gordon in my corner. He's he's a tech geek who can actually understand things very simply, which is as rare as a unicorn or a sober Australian. Um, so what that means, open source is essentially it is a program or a code which anyone can write and contribute to, and it is open to the public. So for example, Apple um, iOS software is not open source. Someone working for Apple, he gets paid by Apple, writes it, and it belongs to Apple. No one really knows what goes behind the scenes. Um, unlike, you know, you can't take a phone apart and reverse engineer it. You can't really reverse engineer a code from my understanding. However, something that's open source means I'm putting it out there into the internet and anyone can look at it. Anyone can contribute it, contribute to it. What I appreciate about it more is as Gordon would say, that gives more eyeballs looking at it. So if you have a, you know, a couple hundred employees at Apple looking at this code versus basically every tech around the world looking at this code. So you go from a couple hundred tech developers to a several thousand looking at this code, it's more likely, A, they'll pick up mistakes, but also they'll pick up potential threats. So open source basically means you have more people working on it, contributing to it. So Windows 10 is available if you search for it, uh, on the Microsoft site or even a Google search for it, Windows 10 ISO, it is freely available. You can download it. There are probably thousands of people at Microsoft working on it. Is that open source? No, because you can download it. It doesn't mean the code is open source. The product that they created was created by Microsoft. And I would argue it is deliberately plagued with bugs because it keeps IT guys in and in big corporations, gives them a job. Um, I find it quite funny, Gordon, people like yourself, people that work in the IT industry hate Apple products because they know it makes their job somewhat redundant because it's not played with critical errors. Um, Mac OS and Apple is just plagued with as many bugs and whatever as Microsoft. So there's in, in my, from an open source point of view, there's no difference between Microsoft and Apple. 
Yeah. Um, I don't think Microsoft and Windows needs to like deliberately put bugs into their software. I think that just happens naturally. <laughs> they don't need to do anything extra with that. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. So, yeah, you're right, Ferris. There are really three components. One is something that is freely available, and we're not talking about the code. So, yeah, you can go to Microsoft and download Windows 10. Um, yeah, it's available, but not the code. So we're talking about the code. Is it freely available? Number one, so with Windows and Mac, no. Number two, can you modify it? So, for example, can you download the source code, modify it? For example, Litecoin. Litecoin is basically a ripoff of Bitcoin. Someone downloaded the, well, we know, uh, what was his name? Charlie Lee downloaded uh, Bitcoin code. Instead of 10-minute blocks, there are 2.5-minute blocks. Instead of 21 million, there are 84 million, blah, blah, blah. Changed, you know, uh, you know, in your text editor, when you do a search and replace, search and replace the word Bitcoin and replace it with Litecoin. Bang, I've just created Litecoin. Fantastic, billion-dollar coin. So is it um, freely available? Is it able to be modified? But most importantly, I would say, is can you redistribute it? So for example, um, there are a lot of software out there that is sort of freely available. Even the source code, you can actually download it, but you can't redistribute it and sell it commercially or even even non-commercially as well. So you've got those three components. You've got the freely available, the modification, and the redistribution. And a lot of people are aware of software licenses. So we look at stuff like Photoshop or Windows or Mac OS, and we'd say, yeah, okay, that's proprietary license. But open source has a license as well, which a lot of people sort of don't realize. So when you download Firefox or when you download Bitcoin or when you even download Linux, which is what I use, there is a license, and that is an open source license, and that is an agreement between the author of the software and the user, which is us. Now, that license is implicit when you're using Firefox or, or Linux because, you know, that, that agreement, you don't sign anything or there's no contracts or any of that, but there is actually a license. So the whole kerfuffle with uh, cold card, and, and that's the reason why I explained it, um, in those terms is because, yes, Ferris. Sorry, i just jump in. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware of what cold card is, it is a cold storage device where you can store your Bitcoins that is offline, so to speak. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, so cold card, we can say, is a hardware wallet like Ledger and Twitter and, and some of the others. And uh, we'll get into uh, open and closed source of the different hardware manufacturers in a moment. But the whole kerfuffle, and there's so much fud out there that I kind of ignored most of it, and we don't really need to go into all of it. The whole kerfuffle is Cold Card, or the, the parent company is called CoinKite, changed the open source software license. So as we said, with um, products like Windows, Mac, um, uh, Photoshop, they are proprietary or what we call closed source licenses. When it comes to open source, there isn't just one open source license. There's like literally hundreds, if not thousands of licenses. However, there's really only three main ones. One kind of license, which is what Firefox, for example, uses, is you can download this code, you can change it, you can modify it, you can redistribute it, you can sell it. 
you can do whatever the hell you want with it. So if you wanted to, we could download Firefox, rebrand it, put a Coin Compass logo on it, and we could sell it as the Coin Compass browser. Why would we do that? I don't know, but we could if we wanted to. Um, so that's a really free and open sort of license. Most people say that is really the only kind of open source license. The second kind of open source license is the same. You can download it, you can modify it, you can redistribute it with the one caveat that you cannot use it for commercial purposes. That's what Coldcard have done. Coldcard have actually changed it from you can do whatever you want to you can do whatever you want, but you can't sell it. From a technical point of view, it's still open source and there's really no difference. I would not stop recommending Coldcard. From an ideological point of view, I'm disappointed, yeah, because the true nature of open source is that open collaboration. And technically, yeah, it's no longer really kind of true sort of open source. Um, I won't go into the weeds, Faris, but I think it's really important to, um, because a lot of these arguments in, in Bitcoin technology are nuanced. They're not black and white. And um, I just wanted to go into the components of a hardware wallet. I'm not going to go into great detail, but I think it is important to do that because a lot of people don't realize what is actually involved. Bitcoinbasics.help is excited to announce our next webinar happening on the 11th and 12th of December 2021, where you'll learn how to buy and sell Bitcoin confidently and securely. Join Faris and Gordon, co-founders of CoinCompass.com and the co-hosts of this podcast, Bitcoinbasics.help, to learn more about Bitcoin. Learn more about its fundamentals from an economic and technical point of view. Learn how to buy and withdraw Bitcoin by dealing with wallets and exchanges. And perhaps most importantly, learn about InfoSec and private key management best practices to secure and safely store your Bitcoins for the short and long term. Check out bitcoinbasics.help webinar to find out more. Fill out the registration form and feel free to ask questions or leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. bitcoinbasics.help webinar. We hope to see you there. Any hardware wallets, and I'll use the three examples, a Trezor, a Ledger, and a cold card. Every hardware wallet has four components. And the four components, well, how about I ask you that question, Faris? What, what do you think the four components, technical components of a hardware wallet is? The technical components for a hardware wallet. Um, oh, I'll struggle to get four, I think. So number one is, um, no, let me start with basic. One is the obviously need to be able to receive private keys. Sorry, not, not functionality, but actual, you know, physical and software components. Oh, okay. So, well, you need to be able to, to um, hang on, sorry. I'm about to repeat myself. That's all right. So with, with the, like with the, the difference between a cold storage device and say what a mobile wallet, is that what you mean? Well, for example, with a computer, you could say a computer is made up of a hard drive, a CPU, memory, and some sort of operating system. Like there's right. those sort of four components. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to tell you that with a hardware right. wallet. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, I was just trying to stop talking. So I will go through this really quickly. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's really important because... I, I, there are no blog posts and this is where tech journalism is kind of dead. Like you look on Twitter and there's just people shouting at each other and everything's black and white. Oh, it's open source. It's not open source. Like, well, yeah. Okay. So the four components are number one, you've got some sort of interface. 
So you need, even though it's a hardware wallet, you need a piece of software. So for example, if you've got a Ledger or a Trezor, you need to download their wallet software and put that on your phone or on your desktop. Number two, you've got the actual, what is called the MCU. That's a fancy word for microcontroller. That's basically a CPU. It's a general purpose CPU. And that's basically what does pretty much everything. It's kind of like the hardware that's kind of like a CPU. The third thing is the software for that CPU. Now, the technical term is firmware. Again, that's just a fancy name for operating system. So it's, it's like Windows, Mac, or Linux, but for a hardware wallet. That's called firmware. And then the fourth thing and the last thing is called a secure element. That is a secure chip like you find in SIM cards, some of the digital passports that really are a, they don't even have an operating system. They're so simple, but all they do is generate keys, generate um, uh, uh, random numbers, and they do like three or four different things. That's all they do. And so a lot of people are like, oh, you know, Ledger is not, is closed source. Trezor is open source. And now cold card is now not open source. That's complete rubbish because there's not a single hardware wallet that is truly open source. Um, so for example, uh, Ledger uh, is totally closed source. You can't download any of the code. You can't, you don't know what's doing. It's a complete black box. Now, Ledger have put a lot of money into security. They've got a reputation to protect. So kind of like Windows or Mac, um, you're kind of relying on the developers, but you're kind of relying on past history, like how many times has it been hacked sort of thing. Opposite is Trezor. So Trezor kind of is open source. The reason why I don't recommend a Trezor is they don't have this secure element. So Trezor is basically kind of like a USB in that it's got certain software on it, but there's no actual secure element. I see that and many other people see that as a major security risk um, because basically software can be hacked. So you've got Ledger who are completely closed source. Cold Card is basically trying to be an open source version of a Ledger. So I mentioned you've got the wallet software, you've got the um, hardware controller, you've got the operating system, the fourth thing, the secure element, there is no such thing as an open source version of that. That does not exist. So a lot of people screaming and shouting, um, simply one doesn't exist um, because these manufacturers, um, you know, in a, in a factory of Taiwan, Taiwan or China or Hong Kong, or whatever, they're creating like, you know, millions of these sort of thing. They're all proprietary. So at the end of the day, there's no such thing really as an open source hardware wallet. Um, because of this need for a secure element. I don't necessarily, from a technical point of view, blame Cold Card for sort of switching the license from an ideological point of view. It is disappointing. The last thing I'll say, Ferris, and I've gone on way too long and people are like, what the hell are you talking about, firmware, <laughs> whatever, is um, the only reason why Cold Card, and this is why I'm disappointing, really changed their license is because um, someone took their open source code, a project called Passport, and they are now making a competitive product called the uh, Foundation Device Password. Right. 
So, yeah, thanks. I, yeah, the reason I want to talk about it, so I know in the past we have recommended cold card to our clients. And when this happened, I, I knew one of the key reasons you recommended it was the open source nature of it. Um, and yeah, like, for example, I know WhatsApp, um, that was created by a guy who could have made millions by selling that code, but he didn't. He just released it onto the internet and then the Facebook face took it and created a WhatsApp. Um, and the guy that created that didn't receive any money out of it. Um, so just briefly, Gordon, why would someone create something and make it open source rather than try and copyright it and make some money out of it? Yeah, that's the ideal question. That's what my dad asked me all the time. He's like, well, why is Linux open source, Firefox or whatever? You know, what's the point in making no money? I guess the, the main reason is altruistic. You know, people um, want to create something that's free and they want to openly collaborate with other companies. So I guess that's, I mean, Bitcoin wouldn't work if it wasn't open source because if Bitcoin was closed source, like it was developed by Amazon or Google or, you know, the Federal Reserve or America, it would just be another coin. Like it would just be kind of like mm. another currency, like a Google coin or Amazon coin. So I guess uh, the main reason is it's altruistic. Um, but having said that, Firefox is open source. The Firefox product is completely free, so you can download it. And there are many variations on it. There are different browsers. For example, the Tor browser is based on Firefox. Uh, but the Mozilla or Firefox Foundation makes $400-$500 million a year from advertising. So, for example, Google pays Firefox $400 million a year for Google to be the default search engine. It's not DuckDuckGo. It's not these other search mm. engines. So there are actually companies that are built around um, open source products that are actually making a lot of money. So it's not necessarily mm. that open source means it's free and no one makes money. Usually the project is free. Anyone can download it. But the support, the maintenance, any commercial or enterprise application, that's where a company provides that. Yeah, and this is the beauty of Bitcoin is that, yes, it is open source and we're seeing an industry built around Bitcoin, but you can also own a piece of that industry. So and when the internet was created, you couldn't buy shares directly in the internet. Um, that was impossible. When the telephone was created, you can buy shares directly in the telephone in that adoption rate. You can do that with Bitcoin by buying Satoshis, buying parts of Bitcoins or whole Bitcoins if you can afford them. Um, so that's the beauty of Bitcoin. You can buy shares in this emerging technology, in this you know, long overdue store of value and currency, as well as create businesses around it. Yeah, and that's what Blockstream's basically done. Blockstream is one of the major um, contributors to Bitcoin. They hire four or five developers full-time to develop the Bitcoin source code. Now, they don't make any money from that. They're basically paying um, employees to work on an open source project. But in the long run, their business is built around Bitcoin. So they kind of see the incentive of, well, if we, if we make Bitcoin more secure, more you know, faster, blah, 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 then uh, in the long run, that benefits our products and services anyway. So it's sort of a win-win. You know, you're contributing uh, money and resources to an open source project, but that open source project is also enabling you to provide products and services. Thank you, Gordon. I know that was a lot for you to go through. Really appreciate it. And uh, 
Again, everyone listening, if you have any queries, if you want us to answer any of your questions about Bitcoin, nothing is too complex or too simple, please go to bitcoinbasics.help and you'll see a microphone icon. Click on it and you'll be able to pose your own question and we will answer on air. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer, any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit coincompass.com for more information and please contact us.